0: Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Active Iron on News Talk. Ask the GP on Lunchtime Live. Every Monday afternoon we put your medical questions to our resident GP, Doctor Nina Burns from Generation Health Medical Clinic, is with me to answer all your queries. Nina, good afternoon.
1: Thank you.
0: Nice uh, here. 087-1400-106. That is the WhatsApp number. Um, this texter is 59, Nina. They've recently been diagnosed with subclinical uh, hy- um, hypothyroidism. Not quite underactive, but I might be on the way there. I've been told to get it checked every year. My question, would my uh, metabolism be slow because of this and causing weight gain? What are the things I can do to keep myself on track? I'm very active, eat quite, uh, eat quite well um, and I'm always struggling to keep my weight at bay.
1: So this is actually something we get asked all the time about thyroid and weight gain. And I suppose it is true that having an underactive thyroid kind of slows your metabolism. And so in theory, you can have weight gain. In practice, we don't see weight gain as a major symptom of thyroid disease. And I suppose on the flip side, a lot of people, when they get diagnosed with an underactive thyroid, they're kind of almost like, great, now I'll lose the weight when I go on medication. We don't see massive weight loss when they start medication. The thyroid disease I associate most with weight is an overactive thyroid where people often do lose a lot of weight, um, but not so much with an underactive thyroid unless it's profoundly underactive, even though that is officially one of the symptoms. So a subclinical hypothyroidism means that you have, there are two blood tests we look at and it means that one of them is probably off, but the other one is normal. So your circulating thyroid levels are normal, which means your body at the moment has enough thyroid hormone um, but it's something they keep an eye on because if that starts to drop or if anything changes, then it's quite likely if you have symptoms that they'll put you on medicine. And I suppose the thing to say is with subclinical hypothyroidism, that the sort of different blood tests we do, there's antibodies and stuff. It's very much patient centric because while the numbers can be borderline, if the patient has an awful lot of symptoms and say their antibodies are positive, which puts you at risk of thyroid mm. issues. Sometimes we do add in some medicine, just a low dose even to see how they do. Okay. Um, so what I would say is, you know, if you're concerned about the symptoms, you know, there are so many symptoms of an underactive thyroid. Apart from that, you could feel tired. You can notice changes in your skin and your hair. For women, their periods can get heavier. They're all things to watch out for. And just go talk to your doctor. But obviously, Weight gain has so many different things that play, play a role in it. Mm. Um, and I wish I could tell you that just getting thyroid medicine would sort it but I have to be honest it it doesn't usually
0: This listener is 43 male and in February underwent is it cardioversion? And initially everything was perfect but the past three weeks have been experiencing palpitations again occurring at varying intervals sometimes as frequent as every 10 seconds Um, This person hasn't engaged in any strenuous activity since then bar 10 minute basketball game three weeks ago but um, they're concerned that it could be be triggering the whole thing again could you suggest any vitamins supplements any measures to help con- control my rhythm and avoid a situation similar to a year ago
1: so what i would really absolutely say there is you need to go back to your doctor and have a conversation about this because while cardioversion obviously worked at the time if they told you you were back in a normal rhythm when you went home unfortunately it's not perfect and you can go back and you shouldn't be getting palpitations regularly so someone with a history of an abnormal rhythm who's suddenly getting the palpitations again, he really needs to go see his doctor. He needs an ECG or a Holter monitor done. Or I think the last time I was here I mentioned that app you can download or your mm. um, Apple Watch to record the rhythm. But actually it's very important you get checked. So I wouldn't be recommending supplements or vitamins. I would say go to your doctor, to have doctor. a check up and let them advise you. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: question for Nina. My seven month old baby has had a chesty cough for the past week. Seems very much viral and probably came from her big brother who's in creche. I've been alternating between Calpol and Nurofen along with Ventolin Inhaler. She seems okay but still has the cough. I'm averaging about two to three doses of Nurofen every 24 hours. When she's no medication, she coughs a lot and seems a little bit miserable. Is this amount of medication okay? At what point do I need to bring her to the GP?
1: So I suppose the baby's seven months old and sick for a week. Um, You could get checked. But I, I always say a cough doesn't mean disease. And this was one of the things I was taught when I was in college is if you had a child in front of you who's coughing and if you couldn't hear the cough, would you be worried? And if the answer is no, for the most part, you probably don't need to worry. Now, obviously, there's, you know, there's grey areas there. But certainly if you have a child who has a cough, especially a cough that's coming and going, isn't there all the time and they're perfectly well otherwise, um, it's reasonable to watch it, especially if they've had a recent respiratory infection. Sometimes the cough can linger for a few weeks common cause of cough can maybe be if the nose is irritated, dripping in the throat, irritating the throat, making it cough, and then it becomes this vicious cycle because the cough itself irritates the throat. So I would always say just, is your child well? Look at your child. Are they spiking temperatures? Are they eating well? Are they um, getting fever? And if you're worried, get that checked. I suppose Ventolin, I'd be cautious in a seven-month-old using Ventolin regularly. It's not a medication we routinely prescribe for children under a year old, unless there's a very significant reason to do it. And I assume if this child has Ventolin, it was prescribed by the doctor. So if that's the case, maybe the child has asthma. That's Mm. why it would have been
0: prescribed, prescribed although place, asthma yeah. isn't
1: traditionally diagnosed in children that young so from that point of view it would be nice to someone listen to the chest because obviously a wheezy chest can make you cough as well so i suppose to summarize for the most part a cough isn't anything to worry about but in a child that age who's on that much medication i, I would be checking in with the doctor just to make sure everything's okay 087
0: 1400 106 that is the whatsapp um, this listener in the last year nina has started to shake um, uncontrollably And particularly when they're in a large group of people or in a conflict or argument situation with another person, my legs and arms tremor, I often have to leave any situation to be on my own to try and make the shaking stop. Could the doctor advise what might actually be happening to me?
1: So really, that sounds like a form of panic. Um, so people think of panic attacks as your heart racing and, you know, feeling yeah. like you're about to die. But for some people, it takes the form of just feeling absolutely awful and shaking. And so it could be social anxiety if it's just specifically around groups of other people. So, again, a very good idea to talk to your doctor about it and they can guide you. Counselling or psychotherapy is always a very good place to start with anxiety. Um, there's a GP colleague, Harry Barry, is a GP who specializes anxiety. Is a great website and he has a number of kind of things you can do when you're feeling anxious. So I think things like that can be a really good idea. There are lots of books about anxiety. There's a very famous one called "When Panic Attacks. It's been around for a long time. I think another one that probably most people have heard of. It's called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. They're all very good books about coping with anxiety and stress. But I suppose this is your body reacting to a stress and the stress doesn't have to be physical. It can be psychological and it's definitely worth looking at that. Okay.
0: Um, Could you please ask the doctor, I'm 51, and still getting my periods. They're heavy for the first three to four days and then ease. Is it normal as I don't have symptoms of change of life, hot flushes, etc.?
1: Yeah, so there's no definite age for menopause. The definition of menopause is a year since your last period. And while the average age is around 50-51, in some women it's later than that. So it's not abnormal to still have periods at the age of 51. And once they are regular and completely normal and don't feel like they've changed in any way, you don't really have to do anything about it. But I would say to anyone, if you've gone a full year without a period and then you have bleeding, then that is abnormal and that needs to be checked out.
0: Okay. Um, My 15-year-old has recently been diagnosed with ADHD. Any thoughts on perhaps... Medication perhaps suggestions
1: for that? So actually, I'm loving seeing this question. This is uh, ADHD is actually a special interest of mine. So, And I'm glad that people are talking more about it because it's incredibly undiagnosed in the community. Um, and often, you know, typically we would have thought of the, the kid with ADHD as the very hyperactive kid in the class, the one who's disruptive and wrecking the place. But that's not the case. There's the attention deficit one. Often these are the daydreamers away with the fairies and they can really struggle and they have much higher instance of anxiety. So we classically see the change when people go, say, from junior to second, Secondary, or at the senior cycle of secondary school is, or into college is a very difficult time for teenagers. Okay. Obviously, it's really important that they get a proper assessment and diagnosis. And the diagnosis is very formalized. It's very clear. And then if this person has obviously been diagnosed and me- medication has been recommended.
0: Mm.
1: There are certain checks have to be done before you start the medication. And usually your psychiatrist will liaise with your GP about getting those done. Um, Concerta is what they call a stimulant medication so many people may have heard of a drug called Ritalin Um, they've been around since the 1950s these drugs are there for a long time they can in some people slightly increase their pulse or increase their blood pressure so these are things we keep an eye on but we know that untreated ADHD has a whole list of complications and that you know People with severe ADHD, they have a higher risk of substance use, self-harm, anxiety. So it's about weighing up the benefits versus the risk. And I have to say, in my experience, overwhelmingly, diagnosed properly and treated, people do incredibly well on this medication. So. Okay. Um, and that's what I'd this listener is
0: wondering about. Should, should yeah. their their um, 15-year-old go on to the, the So concert, again, it's is? a very
1: individual thing. But, you know, I, I think it can work really, really well when it does. What I would say, like with any psychological or psychiatric disorder, it's never a one-arm treatment. Mm. So other treatments such as occupational therapy, and there are occupational therapists who specialise in neurodivergence. Lifestyle is very important. Exercise, all of those other things that help improve your dopamine levels. And, and because ADHD is a condition that affects dopamine in the brain. So that's what this drug works at and it's no different really in the way that others say psychological medicines yeah. work on brain hormones but okay. can be incredibly life-changing for people it works really well for.
0: Just a final one Nina for today and um, this listener has a pain in the side of their knee and their lower their lower leg mainly on the right leg and it's specifically at night time when they're in bed wakes me up constantly what do you think?
1: So we don't know what age this person is no. and I suppose knowing what age someone is can can be helpful I suppose Pain you get in your legs at night can be nothing. It could be a simple cramp. And sometimes taking magnesium at night helps with some people and um, being able to stretch and just make sure your leg is, is comfortable. But I suppose in other people, particularly say people who've been smoking or who have any history of cardiovascular disease, pain when your legs is, are elevated can be a sign of poor blood flow in the legs. So again, it's probably one to talk to your doctor about. They know your full history. They can examine you. And it could be, as I said, as simple as taking magnesium at night. But it's not one to ignore. It can be a sign of blood flow issues in the legs.
0: Nina, listen, thanks a million, as
1: always, for
0: joining us today and coming into us. Um, of course, we will have our Ask the GP slot back next Monday afternoon. So if we didn't get to your question today, you can, uh, we will actually, we'll, we'll definitely, I should say, get back to it next Monday. But that's Dr Nina Burns from Generation Health Medical Clinic. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday. Brought to you by Active Iron. On Talk.